Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Welcome, Richard Howard, to the Focus on Why podcast. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm looking forward to this conversation because you contacted me via my website, reaching out as a fellow podcaster just to connect and have a chat, which we did a few weeks ago, which is great. We had a, a walk and talk. Well, you had a walk and talk. You were out <laughs> with the, the baby and the baby carrier, and it was really good to have a conversation. And here we are now recording the podcast together. So what was it that sort of brought you to reaching out and connecting with me? Sure. So as you mentioned, uh, fellow podcaster, let me give a quick plug for that, if that's allowed. Uh, the podcast is Zero to Something uh, with the number two. And uh, the podcast really is, is for me finding out what drives people, the most kind of successful creative people. So I've been very lucky to talk to some really interesting people, entrepreneurs and writers like um, Sir Martin Sorrell, uh, Danny Fegelstein from The Times, um, Annie Duke, David Epstein, Matt Redley, all those kind of great people. And selfishly as a podcaster uh, I really love doing the interviews the thing that I am um, not so good at is the promotion and the the driving of listener numbers and so I you know purely looked at the the charts the the iTunes i um, podcast charts I saw you up there and I listened to a couple of episodes and you seem very nice and very friendly and approachable and I thought I'll, I'll reach out to Amy hopefully she has some tips for me and you know maybe if I'm lucky we can do something like a cross promotion or something and help your listeners a uh, significantly vaster number than my listeners uh, find my podcast if you know the topics are of interest to them well, and here we are recording that because absolutely, this is this is something that I found with podcasters is that we all have to start from zero um, and do something. There we go, nice sort of yeah. connection there. <laughs> but we do we do start from zero. We have zero listeners, we have zero audience, we've got zero downloads, and it's all about okay, how are we going to build that audience? How is it we're going to sort of build our tribe of followers and connect with other people? And the first thing you do is obviously reach out to other podcasts and sort of speak to people, find out what they've done, get some learning points and then obviously get the opportunity to go on their show because what that then does is it brings their audience into your world and vice versa because one thing about podcast listeners is that they are actually very loyal once they find a show that they enjoy and they listen to regularly and it's consistently released they like to sort of have that it's like a a friendly fellow you know that you can sort of listen to you know it's going to be released on this day so you've got that consistency coming through so yeah absolutely happy to share the tips and, and also share our audiences and share sort of really valued things that we have to say or hear and you've had some great guests on your show you just listed a few of them and one that sort of popped out at me was Annie Duke is that Thinking in Bets author yes yeah. yes yes right, yes yeah, so Thinking in Bets and, and her new book was was How to Decide Fantastic. Yeah, I've got her book on my shelf to read. It's, it's over Christmas, I'm going to be reading that. So I'm looking forward to, to reading her book. So why did you want to start a podcast, Richard? Sure. So um, 
I, I I guess it's two things. First of all, my, my day job is that I work at Amazon. Not to get kind of like too granular, I work at a, a division of Amazon called AWS, which is Amazon Web Services. And my focus is on uh, technology startups because that was my life prior to, to joining Amazon. And as part of my job, uh, it is kind of raising external awareness within the startup community of AWS. And so part of that is doing podcasts. So... The podcast, I do a podcast for AWS, AWS Startup Podcast. And for that, I interview investors and entrepreneurs. And I really, really enjoyed it. I'd never done it before. And I just, my boss said, you know, maybe this is something you should try. I'd done public speaking. I'd done, we'd done some videos, that kind of thing. But I'd never done a podcast. And so I did, I think, 12 of them uh, in the last year. And I really, really loved it. Like, really, really loved it. And then, you know, during the pandemic, sitting around, and you're just like, I was just like, you know what, I want to, I want to do my own podcast. And the thing that really interests me as somebody who was an entrepreneur, as somebody who spent, uh, you know, going on um, eight years now of my kind of professional existence around entrepreneurs, founders, is the literally the zero to something, the having nothing and then creating something. And that's, you know, hence the name of the podcast and kind of hence the kind of people that I'm interested in talking to. So it came from kind of like a mix of like my personal interests, but also I definitely wouldn't have done it if I hadn't already been doing or had tried the podcast uh, for the day job, which I, I found that I really, really enjoyed doing. And why podcasts? Why not YouTube videos? It feels like too much work, YouTube videos. There's lighting and there's editing and all that stuff. And and for anybody that's not done a podcast, the audio editing is bad enough. And I, the first podcast that I did with Danny Finkelstein, I spent, and I kid you not, four or five hours just deleting ums and ahs. And I was like, this is awful. I cannot do this. And if I thought I had to edit video, uh, sorry, edit video on top of that, I think my brain would explode. So podcasts just seem easier. It's a nice way. It's an audio format. I love listening to podcasts myself, and you know, I don't think I have the, the time and effort to put into into doing the video stuff. It's interesting you say that because I was on a Libsyn webinar last night with with Podchaser, and they described the fact that. Uh, a video is tenfold the amount of work because of the editing. And also you've got to get it bang on for it to be great. Whereas with the audio, it, the people are a lot more forgiving because when you are listening to an audible, you do, you do that's all you have. All is, you have is the voices. And you're right, you do need to sort of edit the ums and the ahs because it does become stilted. When you've got the video, you're much more forgiving in, in seeing those ums and ahs. But you need, as you say, the video quality has to be good and you have to have good sound with that. You have to then have, you know, the good lighting and the, the sort of whole setup and the conversation has to be of interest. And the reason is, is because you've got to captivate their attention 100%. We can't, with a podcast, you can walk and talk, you can exercise, you can do other things because you're just needing these headphones and that's it. You can do other things, you can drive or whatever. So yeah, the podcast is a great medium. Absolutely. So with your zero to something, you started interviewing entrepreneurs. What what's next for for the whole podcast? Where do you want to take this? So I my my ideal goal, and I think it's good to have uh, you know in the startup world they have these things called um, BHAGs, which is, stands for big, hairy, audacious goals. I would love to be kind of number one in the kind of business charts within the UK at least. And that I think is 
around you know 10 to 20,000 downloads per week of the episode. I'm not 100% sure of the number because iTunes is pretty opaque. But uh, you know that's the goal. And at the moment I'm around a couple of hundred. So I've got I've I've got a ways to go and I think you know, I'm I'm a pretty self-critical person, but I think the interviews themselves are, are are interesting. Like the feedback that I've had is that you know you're creating interesting content, which I think is the first thing, right? If you're not creating interesting content, people don't care. But I think I'm doing that. And then for me, it is really about kind of how do I then build the audience, as we were kind of talking about at the beginning, and that's what I'm trying to do. And because you know, if you're doing this thing. I would love to be able to, you know, there's a little bit of ego for all of us, right? So for me, I want to be, you know, climbing that charts. And, and the ideal goal is to be kind of mixing up at the top of the charts with the Tim Ferrises and the Joe Rogans of the of the world, at least in the in the UK. Um, because with that, you know, you get, I, I've been very, very lucky to have incredibly interesting guests who didn't care about the number of listeners that I have. But to continue to get really interesting guests, you know, you have gatekeepers, agents, publicists, whatever it is. And if you can go to them and say, oh, I'm actually number one in this chart or that chart, and I get X number of thousand downloads per week, then you're going to break those doors open. And so for me, that's really the goal to continue to have interesting conversations with really interesting people and, and build a, a decent sized audience out of it. It sounds like a great target to have. And, and as a result, what you're going to be doing is, is giving people great content and you're going to be able to provide your loyal audience with that great content. And so you say ego aside, I think it is actually a service that you're providing. Yeah, I, like, I, I hope so. Um, I hope it's interesting. I hope there's uh, things in the audio, things in the podcasts that allow people to, to think and maybe change their mind on things. And, you know, you mentioned Annie Duke and, you know, that conversation with her was incredible because, um, you know, what I, I read the book before interviewing her and you kind of, you know, we, we talked about specific points and hopefully... I, you know, for her, for her book, which was, you know, how to decide, we're talking about the decision-making framework. And most people, I include myself in that, we don't have a framework for making decisions. We just make decisions and we don't really think about it. But, you know, so hopefully with the people that I'm interviewing, like Annie Duke, like David Epstein, A, it's interesting, and B, it can give them something to think about and maybe, you know, alter some behavior uh, if, if, you know, if that's what they want or just kind of think about it or help people. If, if, if possible. And you talk about clarity and having decision-making processes. What have been your decision-making processes in getting to where you are now? Oh, um, <laughs> I wish I could say that I had a smart, well-thought-out process. But <clears throat> for me, it was just like, I want to do a podcast for myself and then I'm going to do it. Uh, so as I mentioned, I've worked at startups before and, and including my own. And the thing that I've always been very good at is the literally the zero to something is creating something from nothing. So I knew that I could go and, and do this thing. I, you know, I did it at a bunch of companies. Uh, for me, the, the, the challenge has always been the scale. So I can get things started, not a problem. I can do that. Uh, I've done it, you know, I did it at Uber back in 2012. I was the first employee for them in the UK. Uh, I did it at a company called Rentify. I did it at my own company. That is not a problem. The problem for me has been turning my attention towards how do you make this like really, really scalable? So I, yeah, I wish I could say that I had a clear thought out decision-making process about this, but ah, I'm just going to do it. And uh, funnily enough, I said to my friend, I was like, if, if this one guy that I want to that I want to be a guest replies positively, I'm going to do it. 
and he did. He's not been on the on the podcast yet, actually. But I was like, all right, that's good enough. I'll, I'll go ahead and do it. And then I set out the kind of people that I wanted to interview. Uh, I created a Trello board. And, you know, I either kind of cold emailed them or emailed publicists or if they're authors, emailed the um, the publishing house. And, and kind of that's how I've, I've gone about it. So unfortunately, not a clear thought through decision making process. It was more spur of the moment. But Afterwards, I'm trying to be more thoughtful about how to build the audience and how to get uh, more and, and, and better interesting guests as well. And where does this sort of love for startup and creation come from? Oh, that is a that is an incredible question, and I, you know, it's something psychological. I I think. Uh, my dad was an entrepreneur, not a not a tech startup guy, but he was an entrepreneur. He built his business, you know, started in our basement and he built, he was a, a wholesaler of musical instruments and he built, you know, literally from our basement um, when he used to have to like unload um, lorries himself, he built it into, you know, a decent like business uh, with a warehouse thing. It was like 40 or 60,000 square feet. Uh, he was the biggest musical wholesaler in Scotland. Um, so I'm from Glasgow and um I think there's a stat, I don't know the exact number, but it's like, you know, 60 to 70% of entrepreneurs had an entrepreneur who was a parent. And for me, it's just an empathy that you have seen, you know, your dad build, build this thing up. And for me, I, uh, you know, I kind of eschewed that and I went straight into banking out of uh, university and I was so bored. I was bored out of my mind, but I was terrified to leave it. And so I was made redundant in 2011. And I was like, you know what? I'm just not going. I was so miserable for the last few years. I'm not going into banking. I'm going to go into something startupy. I'm going to go into something entrepreneurial. It's like you know the desire that I'd had in myself for for almost my whole adult life, but I just didn't have the guts to do it. Um, so I took a half step towards that, and that was kind of the the stepping into the the entrepreneurial the startup world within London Silicon Roundabout had just started to become a thing and so I reached out to a company called Uber that nobody had heard of and back in 2012 um and was like you guys should be in London and I should work for you and you know a few interview processes later uh you know that came to be and so from I think it was January 2012 I started with them I've never looked back on kind of working with startups working with founders there is something like I, I, I have a, an incredible appreciation for all business people. If you're starting a business, no matter what it is, I think that's amazing. I, I want you to be successful. But there is something unique about startups, in particular, tech stuff like technology startups. Maybe it is the ambition or potential scale that they can get to, that is really, really exciting. But then that's why I find it so interesting. So we have you to blame for bringing Uber to London, do we? Um, sure. <laughs> or thank. Or thank. Uh, yeah. Blame or you thank. Know, I, I would. I would say that uh, unless you are related to a black cab driver, uh, it's probably thanks. And if you are in the family of a black cab driver, it is probably blame. Yeah, that's a good point. But as with everything, we do need to evolve. You know, we need to change, we need to move forward. And just because it's the way it's always been doesn't mean it's way. And as with technology, you know, the advances, I was just writing about this this morning about visibility and technology and how becoming visible and will help you to step up and, and be present. Because otherwise, in a world now of technology, if you aren't sort of forefront in social media you are practically invisible 
Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think I was thinking about this this morning, actually. <clears throat> and it, it is the fact that you need to have, and it's, I hate saying it, you kind of need to have a brand, right? And I think, so even if you are, you know, your head's down and you're an entrepreneur and you're like, I'm just going to focus on customers. That is amazing. That is great. And that is what you need to do to get off the ground. But ultimately, you're going to need a brand because you're going to do PR. And PR matters to, to reach not those initial customers, but kind of the, the later stage customers. And it matters for you to be taken seriously in the press and by the large customers. And so, you know, and so that's for the entrepreneurs. And if you are not an entrepreneur, but you want to reach the top of whatever business uh, or whatever vertical it is, maybe you're, you know, head of procurement or chief security officer or, you know, whatever it happens to be, um, the 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 social brand that you create becoming a you know for lack of a better term thought leader in the in these spaces um it does matter it's going to lead to to you getting other opportunities whether it's other jobs whether it's kind of um board opportunities non-executive director opportunities you know the more visibility that you have and it doesn't have to be global but, it, but within a niche at least um the more chances you have of kind of increasing your your position, whatever that happens to be, entrepreneur, um, employee focused on on whatever. So you talked about moving or taking steps out of a, an industry that you were sort of bored in, and then sort of taking that leap to follow a desire. What would your sort of advice be to people who were bored and or are bored and terrified in their current roles and have this burning desire? do it do it i've it was i was terrified absolutely terrified of doing it which is why i needed to be pushed and there are people my friends who are still at bank, who are still in banking and they are miserable because they are still too terrified i was pushed i was made redundant but i was very intentional about the fact that i wasn't going into it and i've never looked back and i think that if you, not even if you're miserable, but if just if you want to try something. Now, the thing that I would say is it's super easy for me to say, having done it, and I've been you know relatively successful, and I'm in my mid thirties now. If you're in your forties, if you're in your fifties, it's even more terrifying. You've probably got a mortgage, you've got kids. I was very lucky. I was made redundant at a time when I didn't have any children. I had a small mortgage on a flat in London that you know could be managed relatively easy. It was interest only, so you know it wasn't too expensive. And I, and I had a good redundancy package. Um, but I would say, you know, take the risks when you're like, when you can, obviously. And so I'm lucky enough to mentor some incredible people at, at Amazon. And the thing that I tell them is like, you know, take the risks now because, you know, you're in your early 20s, you, um, you have no kids, you have no mortgages. Uh, and if you say you, you want to go and start your own company, and you take a hit economically for two years, the things that you learn in those two years are going to be unbelievably beneficial. And really, it's not that much of a step back. You're going to go back into industry or back into whatever, and you'll be fine. And the things that you learn about this yourself that you're capable of are just incredible. And so I would say to anybody that, that realistically can is just do it. Um, maybe start it as a side hustle. That is always great. Um, but 
it's very easy to be like, oh, this will be my side hustle. And then you kind of, you do an hour and you're super excited about it. And then you do a half hour the next week and then you do a half hour the week after that. And you go, oh, it's not kind of going how I thought it would go. Oh, you know, maybe it's not that working. But I think if you're going to try it as a side project, a side hustle, um, which is a great way to, to take kind of one foot in without, without completely uh, abandoning your responsibilities, be dedicated about the amount of time you're going to to give to it. So say, I'm going to spend five hours a week and these are the metrics for my success that I am going to achieve and whether I achieve them or not, you know, I'll at least have tried. And I think that's the most important thing. You never kind of feel bad that you've tried. So you were brought up in a fairly entrepreneurial background. You had an entrepreneurial father there and you yet you sort of followed the more traditional system. Where does sort of personal development fold in, if at all? Sure. Um, I So my, even though he was an entrepreneur, my father was actually relatively risk averse. So, um, and I might go off on a tangent, feel free to edit this out if, it, if it's not that interesting. Um, so like I said, he was, he was a um, musical wholesaler, musical instrument wholesaler. And it's not because he was a musician or anything like that. He had a job at a company called Honer, which sold accordions and, and harmonicas. And he realized there was a better way to do it. So that's how he started. But he started whilst he was still at Honer. Side, you know, side hustle before that term was, was even a thing, if you if you want to call it that. Um, but I remember him him coming to me, and then um, you know, years after, after his his business was 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 very very successful, he had the whole franchise for Casio keyboards in the UK. And so that's, you know, big keyboard manufacturer. And Casio came to him um, in the late 90s and they said, we're going to start selling this watch. Do you want to be our distributor for the whole of the UK with this watch? And it was the G-Shock watch, incredibly successful. And my dad looked at him and said, what do I know about watches? I don't want to sell that, right? And so that was like a, you know, I think he said at the time, it was like a five million pound mistake. Okay, so he was pretty risk averse. And even though he was an entrepreneur and he'd obviously taken that risk to get there, he was still actually quite risk averse. He didn't he didn't enjoy stepping into things that he didn't fully understand. And he, by the time he was he was doing the musical wholesaling business, he fully understood the musical instrument market, at least in Scotland. And I think that risk averseness transferred to me. So um, when I left university, I wanted to do something safe. And and you know, this I left university in 2005. So technology startups weren't a thing, at least in the UK. And so I, you know, I went down the traditional route. I studied law, but I realized I didn't want to be a lawyer and, you know, banking was the next best thing. So, you know, I went into banking and I was in that from 2005 up until 2011. And if, if I'm honest, I've only really started to care a huge amount about personal development since I left. Um, I was always somebody who was driven to to do things and, and not kind of settle, uh, even within banking. So, you know, I, I was, um, I kind of bounced around different departments that I found interesting. And um, 2008, when the crisis happened, I saw a lot of people being made redundant. I was in foreign exchange at the time. So a lot of people be made redundant because foreign exchange is pretty easy to do electronically and you don't need that many traders and salespeople. So I moved to a different department because I thought, you know, it's pretty shallow. I want to do something a little bit more deep. Um, I, you know, before the bank would pay for them, I paid for my own, um, it was FSA at the time, FSA exam, so I could be um, regulated and, and do more regulated things. Um, but only since I left banking, did I really care about personal development? And really since, actually since I've joined Amazon and I've been there for four years, um, have I really, really focused on it? And and again, not to go on uh, forever and ever, um, Amazon does this thing called narrative. If you want to do anything, 
at Amazon. Uh, you want to create a new product, you want to have a new department, whatever. You have to write a narrative, and they're very strict. Six pages maximum. You can have appendices, of course, um, but even you know size of the margin, size of the font, uh, and what you're going to focus on. Got to be very data heavy. And so, in the last few years, I started to write a personal narrative for myself. So it's an essay. These are the things that I want to achieve in twenty. You know. 2018, 2019, 2020. This is how I'm going to achieve them. This is the these are the expected results, and these are the risks and dependencies and all that kind of stuff. So I've written it as if it were a Amazon narrative, but for myself. And I've found those to be incredibly helpful, incredibly beneficial, and it really kind of sets out your thinking for the year ahead and the things that you want to achieve, not just want to achieve, but how you're planning on achieving them, what the results you expect are, and what the risks are. And how have they sort of manifested into reality? So for me, um, <clears throat> I think one of the biggest things was that I wanted to get into angel investing. So uh, angel investing is when, you know, you, you um, put a little bit of money into startups. And I, 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 for the first thing that I wrote was kind of, if Amazon fired me tomorrow, like what would I miss? And obviously, you know, the steadiness of the paycheck and all that kind of stuff. But the thing that I would miss most is being involved in the entrepreneurial ecosystem, the startup ecosystem. and. So the thing that I said was, all right, I want to be involved in this ecosystem no matter what my day job is. And not only that, but I have this incredible empathy for founders, for, for entrepreneurs, and I want to be able to support them. And at the end of the day, if I'm supporting them and they are successful, I would love a you know positive financial outcome out of this. So over the last 18 months, I've started to do angel investing in businesses and entrepreneurs that I believe in. And, you know, I've done that. I think I've invested in eight companies now. And so, you know, that was one of the things that I wrote was like, I'm going to start doing, and so in my narrative, it was, you know, I'm going to start angel investing. I'm going to invest in X number of companies. This is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to be, you know, approach them from, from this angle. Uh, my check size, because I'm unfortunately not that wealthy, is much smaller than other angel investors. So the typical angel investment check is around 25,000 pounds. Mine is significantly smaller than that. Um, but, you know, I'm hoping, I say that I, like, I'm going to work for you. Uh, I want, you know, your success is my success. And, and so through that, I've been able to, to invest in some incredible companies. Um, and, and so, you know, there's that there. I think that is the the, the most drastic outcome, the drastic change that, that, that I made in the last couple of years. Uh, the podcast is another one, um, you know, things like that. So um, for me, it's it's been an incredible way to, to kind of plan out the things that I, I want to achieve in a, in a year. So what's on the horizon for you, Richard? That is a that is a great question. So for me, the way that I'm I'm trying to organize my life is the thing I'm trying to maximize for flexibility. So you know, you talk to anybody about what they're trying to, you know, some people try to maximize for um, money. Some people are trying to maximize for, you know, work-life balance. Some people are trying to maximize for, for whatever, for, you know, some people love business travel, whatever. For me, it's flexibility. I want to be able to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And so I'm trying my best to, to, to build things which will allow me to do that. And so, for instance, the podcast. The podcast is one. If the podcast is successful, I will be able to, you know, monetize the podcast that will allow me to keep doing the podcast. And, you know, hopefully that will take away some financial strain from, from other things that, you know, um, similarly, if the podcast is successful, that will allow, that will raise my profile so that I can become a better, better angel investor because a big chunk of angel investing is finding the right companies. And if you are, you know, a well-known podcaster in the business slash entrepreneurial um, ecosystem, 
those companies will will come to you or they will know of you. Having you as an investor will be, you know, a, a positive signal. And so if you're a successful angel investor, it can take five to seven years, but the returns can be pretty significant. So for me, I'm trying to do these things. And another thing that I'm trying to do, uh, and hopefully I'm going to close it soon, is my first rental property. And, you know, I'd love to build up a, you know, a small portfolio of those. So things that I'm trying to do is maximize for my flexibility so that I can do the things that I want when I want. And, you know, that'll be podcasting, angel investing, a little bit of thing of property. And it might take me a while. I'm pretty sure it will. But but that is what I'm trying. That is what I have as kind of the top line goal um, above everything. And why is flexibility your main focus? That is a great question that I don't know that I have the answer for, to be honest with you. Um, I, you know, when I was younger, it was definitely money. I, I cared about money. Um, and that's why I went into banking. I was like, oh, I could make some good money. And then I realized that um, money is okay, but it doesn't actually, you know, if you're doing a job that is not that interesting, you're, you're not finding person, personally interesting, it doesn't really make up for that, right? Because you spend so long at work that you know the money doesn't really um balance that out um and then i worked incredibly hard when i was at uber when i was at startups so you know uh, you're talking 12 to 15 hour days and i realized in my now mid 30s i probably don't have the energy to do that anymore i'd love i wish i had been a very successful business person but i don't think that that is necessarily going to be the case um and so the thing that I've realized is that I I really just want to be able to do what I want to do and when I want to do it. And I don't want to have to, you know, report to anybody. And I just want to be able to do the things that I find interesting on my own schedule. And isn't that just doesn't that sound just amazing? Oh, I can do what I want today. I'm doing it with the people that I like, with whom I want. And I don't need to answer to anybody. And yes, you know, if I wanted to maximize for income, it would be in this job or that job or, or or something else. But for me, it's about being able to do the things that I want when I want. It's a freedom, it's a flexibility. I'm sure there is some deep psychological reason as to why that is the thing that I seem to care most about. Um, <laughs> but I'm not I'm not quite figured it out yet. And you say you're not going to answer to anybody, but you do have a little chap in the house that you've got three of them. <laughs> there we go. Okay, yeah. so you do have some responsibility there. So, but with the raising entrepreneurs, how has that changed for you? Uh, um, so, I mean, everything's changed. So, I've got three boys. Uh, they are seven, four, and one. And it changes everything. And the perspective. So I, I think, if I'm honest, I think if we'd had the two kids, I was, you know, I'm, I'm very happy in my day job, and um, you know, so anybody from Amazon listening to this, I'm not looking to leave anytime soon. Um, but and and Amazon paid, you know, the job is is pretty well paid, and I realized that I could give my two sons a pretty decent life on my Amazon salary. Uh, with the flexibility that Amazon allows, you know, I do, you know, I do work hard, but they, even before the pandemic, they allowed you to work from home when you needed to work from home. Um, you know, I had six, six weeks paternity leave. They're always very understanding in that perspective. Um, but it's when we had my third son that I was like, you know what, if I want to give these kids a really good life, 
um, equivalent to the life that I had growing up. And, you know, I came from a very nice middle-class family, but growing up in Glasgow, things are a lot cheaper than they are when you're kind of raising your kids in London. Um, and if I want to give them that life, I'm going to have to probably do some different things. And, and the day job alone unfortunately, isn't going to give me that unless I, I'm desperate to climb the ladder and become an executive, and then I won't see my kids that much. And and for me, that that wasn't that enticing. So that's one of the things that probably led me to actually being um, less risk-averse and saying, all right, now I'm going to start investing in startups. Yes, I want to help entrepreneurs. Yes, I want to be with founders. But you know, if this is successful, if I'm successful at it, the financial rewards will be able to um, give my kids the life that I want to be able to give them. And I want to be able to be around them. I didn't, prior to the pandemic, I didn't think I'd be around them so much. But, you know, I like a part of the flexibility is wanting to be around them and, you know, um, not putting the entire burden on my wife when it comes to, oh, it's the six or you know, eight week summer holidays or it's the, they're just, they're breaking up for Christmas um, this Friday. So it's a four week Christmas holiday. Um, I want to be able to go on holiday when I want. And, and you know, one of my weird dreams, um, we all have these things. I, I, like, I want to do this uh, trip to, California, whether I want to rent a beach house for eight weeks um, and have that as a base and, you know, explore the rest of California because it's a beautiful, beautiful state. Um, and, and that's what I want to do. And that's not something you can do if you, you don't have the flexibility kind of built into your life. And for me, raising them, I, you know, I don't care whether they're entrepreneurs or not. I care that they're happy and I care that they're kind. And I tell my kids that, oh, you know, be kind because um, nobody wants like, nobody wants to be friends with somebody who's not and nobody wants um, to be friends with somebody who's not happy because they're just miserable. And so for me, like, I don't care what jobs they do, what careers they have, uh, as long as they are happy um, and as long as they're kind of like achieving the things that they want to achieve. And going back to your Zero to Something podcast, has there been an insight that caught you off surprise on one of your episodes? Oof, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I don't know that there's been an insight that's caught me off guard because, again, um, I've, I've found it a bit easier to um, to interview authors because, you know, they've got a book to promote. And I tend to have read the book. So I'll re I, my prep is reading the book before interviewing them. Um, so so I will do that. And, and then so we'll discuss the book. So I wouldn't say there's necessarily um, an insight that's caught me off guard within the interview. The thing that, um, you know, kind of back to Annie Duke, the thing that I found really interesting about talking to, to Annie was thinking about magnitude in your decision-making process. So if you are thinking about, you know, doing something or not doing something, you know, we talked about earlier, if, if you've got any of your listeners thinking about taking that leap and starting a company or, or starting anything, whatever it is, um, and they write, for instance, a pros and cons list, and they'll say, oh, there's four pros and there's five cons, well, then I won't do it. Well, Having a, a simple kind of absolute number is is not the best way to think about. You think about have to you have to think about the magnitude of those pros and the magnitude of those cons and and what their actual impact is going to be if you know it works out positively or or it works out negatively. You know, um, so and I'd never as as dumb as it sounds, I'd never thought of it in those terms before. You know, I was you know. Uh, I, I write the essays for for my narrative, for my personal narrative. But if I was thinking of you know a simple thing or whatever, I would definitely have written a pros cause list. I have done it in the past, and at no point did it occur to me that kind of weighing the absolute numbers of one against the other wasn't the right way to do it. It was thinking really about the magnitude of the outcomes of these decisions if I'm going to make them, and the magnitude of these pros and these cons, rather than the simple absolute number of them. 
No, I think that's a great insight. Thank you for sharing that. And you're a keen book reader. What are you reading at the moment? So I am... Um... 2020 is my year of fiction. So I tend to read only, or I tend to have read only um, non-fiction books. And I read a very, 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 very dry one last year. And I said to myself, I'm, I'm, I don't read enough fiction and I'm going to read uh, fiction only in 2020. Uh, unfortunately, it was a little bit stymied because of, um, I usually read it on the train and we've not been um, <laughs> on the train so much. Uh, so right now I'm reading the third book in uh, a sci-fi trilogy called The Three-Body Problem, uh, which is uh, pretty interesting. It's like very 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 like i don't want to get into all the details but like for me somebody who doesn't typically read sci-fi who again um doesn't really read that much fiction i found this year really really interesting to kind of dive into that and and just enjoy novels which uh, i otherwise would have completely missed and for 2021 what's the plan in reading um i think it's probably going to be a mix there are some books or some authors that I still want to read in, in their novels, but I have at the same time been compiling a, an Amazon list of books, business books that I, I want to read. So um, it's probably going to be a mix of that. And, and hopefully at some point in 2021, I'll be able to kind of get back to regular reading on the, on the trains if we can all get vaccinated and get this pandemic over and done with. Well, yeah, by the time this podcast is out, we'll be sort of late January. So let's hope that, you know, it all has all happened and it's been a fantastic Christmas present for us all. <laughs> hope so. So I asked earlier about what's next on the horizon for you, Richard, but what, what is it your sort of the bigger dreams? What is it the other than the Beach House? What is it you'd love to have achieved? And, and, and obviously the number one podcast. Um, so for me, it's... Um, is I guess you kind of split them into personal and professional, right? So for me, uh, the most important thing is I'm able to raise three happy, healthy boys. And there's nothing more important than that. You know, I think when you take a step back, you know, we've been very lucky. You know, none of the kids has, has ever really been sick. Um, you know, our eldest, who's seven, never even has a cold. Um, so when you, when you look back and you hear all these um, heart-wrenching stories of, of things that happen to people and, and all that with, with their kids, the most important thing for me is that uh, my children are happy and that they're healthy and I've raised good people. And I think in this world, um, it's very easy, particularly for, for boys when they become men, um, it, it's easy for them to to be not great people and you know they might be nice friends but they might be horrible to girlfriends or to girls in general or whatever particularly in their in their teens and and something for me is important to to raise them as, as good people so that's the personal thing um on the professional side for me it is really about achieving that flexibility that i that i talked about earlier i would love to have almost kind of like you know a flywheel as it were right i want to be able to to make enough money doing the things that I enjoy to be able to uh, that raise my profile, to be able to invest that back into the startup ecosystem so that, you know, the angel investing is, is almost kind of a, of a full circle. And I also, I'm really, really interested in property as well. So I want to do some stuff in, in property, um, you know, whether that's, that's buy to let or, or, or other things, but, you know, remaining within the, the startup ecosystem and kind of having that, that flywheel and, st and still doing podcasts. I really, really enjoy it. 
Well, you've been a fantastic guest today and it's been a really lovely conversation that I've enjoyed. We come right back to talking about podcasts again where we started. So, yeah, great. Great. That. How, how would people get in contact with you, Richard? Uh, so they can they can find me on Twitter. My my uh, Twitter handle is at underscore R Howard. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Richard Howard, uh, or you can just listen to the podcast, uh, the word zero, number two, something. And, um, you know, I put all my contact details are on there. So, so yeah, anyway, to get in touch with me. Perfect. Well, I'll make sure they're all in the show notes for this episode anyway. And have you got a final message for the audience, please? Yeah, I think, um, the thing that I would focus on, whatever anybody is thinking about, and they're thinking about, you know, their next move or they're not happy in their job or they want to do something different, is thinking about intentionality. And it's not something that I focused on enough um, prior earlier in my career. If you are going to do something or try something, be very intentional about it. And And for me, writing really helps that because you can't lie on paper when you come back to read it. You can say, if you if you say, oh, I was thinking about doing this and then you tried it, it didn't work out. Um, if you never wrote it down, you can lie to yourself about what you actually thought was going to happen. But if you write it down and you're intentional about it and say, I'm going to do this and I'm going to spend X number of hours a week doing this and I'm going to try and achieve this, then you really know where you stand. And, you know, that piece of paper, being intentional about it is, is something you can really refer back to. And, it, whether you succeed or not, uh, you know it doesn't ultimately matter. The the most important thing is that you tried, and I think that for a lot of people lifts the the weight off their shoulders and makes them feel better about themselves. So if you're going to try whatever it is that is going to make you feel good, be really intentional about it. Thank you for listening to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson, and if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star Apple podcast review. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook, and become a member of my inspiring, uplifting, and positive Focus on Why Facebook group. I help people to focus on their why with clarity, uniting their passion with their purpose with a plan to create the life they truly desire. If you would like me to help you focus on your why, then please book a free 20-minute coaching call via candidly.com forward slash Amy Rowlandson. And if you haven't already, please sign up for the Friday Focus weekly newsletter via my website, amyrollinson.com. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.